0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on episode 13 of the Research in Focus podcast series. My name is Po Tan. I'm a doctoral student in the Faculty of Education and a research assistant in the Research Hub. With us today is Dr. Chris Magnuson, a professor and former dean of the faculty at Simon Fraser University. Chris's interest lies in career development, particularly understanding models and application of research to career counseling practices. Chris is also the recipient of a Social Science and Humanities Research Council Partnership Development Grant for his research on connective career development and mental health in schools. Through this grant, Chris and his team will work towards understanding the relationship between the outcomes of effective career development practices and the determinants of adolescent mental health. Join us on this podcast for an in depth and fascinating discussion on these important topics. So Chris, thank you for joining us today, and um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are listening today. Are also have been looking forward to hearing what you've been doing, um, um, you know, since that left the faculty as dean, but continue on as professor. So maybe let's start with um, having to tell the audience um, a little bit about yourself, including your academic background.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for this opportunity. It's uh, Uh, really interesting, and I'm really pleased to be uh, a part of this series. The research project that we're talking about really kind of brings together different aspects of uh, my life and work. I started as a junior high school teacher uh, in rural Saskatchewan. I worked as a counselor in post-secondary institutes, mostly in Alberta, a little bit in Saskatchewan as well, Uh, and then Uh, went on to do a a PhD where I specialized in career development and taught at the University of Calgary for about a decade, University of Lethbridge for another 11 years, and for the last 11 years I've been here at SFU. Ten of those as Dean and the last year as uh, a relaxed human on admin leave.
0: That's the the best time to be, to do your research, to get started on this grant that you got.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Maybe tell us a little bit, what drew you to pursue, you know, other than, I guess you mentioned that, you know, your background really drove you to this field. Um, Can you highlight some points where, you know, what really spoke to you in this field of research?
1: It goes back to the early days. I I stumbled upon career development entirely by accident, uh, as is the case with many people and their, their stories of their life uh, decisions and where they end up is rarely where they thought they would end up. I came upon career development because I had an elective in my fourth year and it was sounded the least boring of the three options I had in the time that I wanted to take a course. <laughs> and uh, so I took this course on vocational guidance, really got hooked by some of the ideas uh, that I heard there and particularly the ideas that linked how career decision-making counseling processes need to work together better. But a lot of my interest came from massive dissatisfaction with what I learned in that course. At the time, the emphasis was on uh, doing interest inventories and aptitude tests and then matching people to occupational options. And I thought, well, that's kind of a crock because I don't think that would work. And so I, I also had a really strong interest in wanting to make the life space of the people I work with better. That's why I was interested in becoming a teacher in the first place. And I saw the chance to move into counseling as a way to uh, really just deepen my commitment to the teaching space, to educating people. Uh, I, I, like Adler, believe that Most issues that people face, whether they're in-depth psychotherapy situations, are learning problems. They've learned certain ways to cope with life, Mm -hmm. and then they face challenges or life situations that they may not know how to deal with. And if we can take an educational approach, we can help people to get through those rough spots. So that's why I went back and did my master's in counseling um, after teaching for uh, a couple of years. And it still seemed to me that there's this massive gap between the career planning world Mm -hmm. and the personal counseling world Mm -hmm. and the educational development world. So there's these three corners of a triangle that seem to not talk to each other very well. And I thought, this makes no sense, we need to bring them together. So my master's and my doctoral dissertations essentially were debunking common practice in career development and showing uh, how not completely irrelevant most of those assessment processes were but rather how few people they actually helped. Uh, my In my master's work I wanted to see uh, how well these instruments predicted uh, what people would do and their success and and their satisfaction in life. And if we took all the best predictors and, and put them together the best we came up with absolute best was about a a correlation of about 0.4, meaning Mm. that we accounted for roughly 16% Mm -hmm. of the variance, which tells Mm -hmm. you that that, uh, somewhere around 84% of the reasons why people engage in what they do and find satisfaction in what they do were not accounted for by all the methods that we were being taught. That was kind of my abiding passion was bringing together the teaching and education world counseling and therapy world and career development and wanting to reimagine how those things might fit together.
0: And that's such uh, important work you're doing. I mean, I, I have to speak that it's from, you know, even during this time when we're in this COVID era right now, specifically in this year, um, that, you know, these, I guess these three corners that you talked about are so critical to mm-hmm. influencing so many aspects of, I mean, even including career development, it's the, the work we do, the studies with you. And um, I wonder if you, if you could expand a little bit more on where you talked about you know, particular issues that, uh, like for example, more from the personal side, like the personal issues and the counseling side that don't take in, that it's not accounted for when we are talking about career development or even academic development for that sake, you know? Yeah, it's such amazing work um, that you're doing right now. And, and it's also very important during this time and especially this year, during the pandemic when, um, you know, some of the issues that you talk about, like the issue of, say, for example, isolation for students or um, the part where, you know, life is not normal, right? Um, I wonder if you could talk more about the specific issues that are more from, you know, like the the, the personal side of things and how that affects career development, academic development, all that type
1: of thing. Sure. What I would call the... Historic models of career development tended to do one of two or three things. Um, They tried to match characteristics of an individual with opportunities or or demands of a job. That's sometimes called the structural approach. And they looked at things like interests and aptitudes and linking those to what what are the demands of, of specific jobs, the reasons why people enjoy what they're doing are rarely linked to those factors. They're usually linked to a whole set of other factors. And the reasons people make decisions when they do often involves and almost always involves far more decision criteria than those pieces. Those pieces come into play, but they're not the, the biggest issues. And what seem to be the biggest issues are the things that we typically find ourselves dealing with in the counseling relationships, in therapeutic situations, so things like um, how is this person establishing a sense of personal meaning? What what is important to them? What is the context? What's their real world? Their their real world context that they have to operate in, and how does that context shape and constrain uh, the choices they make? How do people find meaning, and particularly find meaning? in contexts that are extremely constrained, or uh, discriminatory, or mm-hmm. uh, non-enabling. Mm-hmm. And these are the real career issues that, that people face. right? Um, mm-hmm. I suppose I have to, before I go too far, uh, so that the listeners get a sense that when I talk career development, I'm not talking occupational choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, occupational choice is one piece of it, uh, but mm-hmm. it's pretty, ultimately, And often a very small piece of it. Uh, Donald Super kind of blew apart some of the notions of the structuralists and and he talked about one's life career, uh, that every one of us fills multiple roles at any one time. So for me right now, uh, I have a role as uh, a father. I've got Mm -hmm. two adult children, they're still very much in, in our lives. I've got a role as a partner to my wife. I've got a role uh, as a leisureite, and a citizen. I have Mm -hmm. a role as an employee. So I have all these different Mm -hmm. roles, one of which is my occupational role. So yes, I'm a professor of of, uh, counseling psychology at SFU, but I'm also all those other things. And career planning is how do you think through how you establish meaning and relevance in all of the roles you play at one time? And then how do you put them together so that you increase your meaning space throughout time? So mm-hmm. I can get immense satisfaction and have this past year by almost completely ignoring the occupational role. Uh, mm-hmm. I spent a lot more time with family and even with COVID a lot more time with friends, whether it's virtually or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are important roles and they give us life. So in the old days, it would be considered a very bad career decision to suspend one's work to take care of family. But that may be the most important thing for you to do at that time. And to deny that would be a denial of what's meaningful to you. This is where culture can come in really um, strongly, Mm -hmm. is that uh, both individual choice and cultural connection place, um, frameworks within which we make decisions. It's not always the case that the most important thing a human does is decide what work they're going to do for life. The most important thing may be how they connect with others, how they support their community, how they support their elders, how they support their family. Right. And then the work role may simply be a mechanism to do that. So I'm not talking about occupational choice. I'm talking about life career management. If we take that lens, it changes the whole game.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it shifts a lot of things. And um, I do want to touch a little bit on, you know, your, your project on specifically looking at, you know, mental health in schools. Now, some of the things that you talk about with life, you know, like um, uh, role as a parent, for example, role, yeah. and I'm sure. Some of our listeners who are, you know, grad students or in transition in their career, even, or even ones who are, you know, waiting to go back to school or, you know, trying to get a new job, I think all that is in their in their head. It's like, okay, my role as a husband, my role as wife, and yeah. um, so all that places a lot of stress and anxiety um, for oneself. So yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about, um, you know, shift a little bit, I guess, to the, the kids at school who are, you know, having the pressure of doing pressure from the parents doing to do well. Um, I yeah. mean, I come from a culture where you, you're you one of, you can only be one of three things, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, right? Yeah. One of those things. Everything else other than that is that like you don't make enough money um, yeah. or it's not a respected career. So how does, how does um, uh, a student, a youth in, in the K to 12, or in the, I guess, the grade 11, grade 12 type of grade, Um, when they're thinking about the career and having to i guess negotiate all those life decisions as well right yeah how do you do that to not you know feel like you're disappointing your parents feel like you're disappointing yourself and how how does one negotiate that
1: well from the helper perspective Mm -hmm. uh, every once in a while we have to help people find the courage to do what they need to do. And that might mean disappointing others. In my post-secondary counseling work, I couldn't count the number of people who had made a a program choice based on what their parents wanted and were absolutely miserable. Mm. And so then the question becomes, do you wish to have a life of misery or do you wish to create a preferred future? And the word, uh, that's the phrase I use all the time uh, when I'm talking about how we work with people. How do you identify and then work towards a preferred future? It's not a guaranteed future. It's not a guaranteed outcome. Uh, It's not always going to be, you know, I made a decision, now I'm happy and everything's good. And it may be developmental and incremental. It may be that it takes you multiple steps to get closer and closer to your preferred future. But if you have that vision in your mind, you're way, way more likely to persist. And if you don't have that vision in your mind, you're way, way more likely to experience a lot of the, uh, what we come to be um, associate with negative aspects of mental health, like mm-hmm. depression, depression, or like uh, frustration and anger uh, or acting out, or there's a whole series of, of these uh, emotional responses, um, Mm -hmm. which are often a function of displaced energy. I'm putting all my energy into something I don't believe in. So then I have less and less energy to put into it, which means I often end up failing at it. Then I feel rotten for failing at it. I mean, it just becomes this great big self-fulfilling prophecy. So instead We have to talk about career development in terms of setting that preferred future, but then building the practical skills that are needed in order to achieve that preferred future. One of those is often how to have difficult conversations with loved ones. And so I won't do uh, anybody any good as a career counselor, if we set, even if it's the absolute perfect occupational destination for somebody, if we don't teach the skills they need to navigate that choice and to navigate and work with those around them.
0: Yeah, I can see that. So this touches upon uh, your upcoming work or collaborative work that's under mm. the uh, Partnership Development Grant. Um, can you speak more to a little bit about that? I would love to know more about what that research is about.
1: S- sure. Um, so the, the basic theme is that when we think of career development in the more expanded way that I've just described it. In fact, I've somewhere here, here's the definition that we're, we're using. A lifelong process of managing learning, work, leisure, and transitions in order to move towards a personally determined and evolving preferred future. That's a lot, right? It's personally determined, uh, it's evolving, so it's going to change. Uh, a, lot of people, a lot of people talk about bad choices that, that students make when they come to university and what a waste of time it is for them to start out in two years in a program, then change majors, right? That's called an evolving sense of self and an evolving sense of a preferred future. A bad choice would be to stay in the thing they started in when it doesn't serve their needs anymore. Anyhow, so that's, that's how I'm thinking about career development some of the growing issues that, that kids are facing in schools, particularly the mental health issues. Uh, some of the, the quick data, um, pr- somewhere around 70% of adult mental health issues have their origin in adolescence. So during those high school years, um, over a third of all high school students uh, express moderate to severe symptoms of depression. Depression uh, is the leading cause of adolescent illness around the world. And suicide is, I think it's the third leading cause of death for young people around the world. These are serious things, right? One of the things that the World Health Organization has said is that we need to spend a lot more of our time um, attending to developmental phenomena, developmental processes to address mental health in youth. Uh, a lot of our money right now is being spent on interventions and crisis interventions. So problems erupted. And now let's try to, you know, cure the problem. Uh, but we need to do a more developmental approach. And that's according to the, the World Health Organization. So we started paying attention to that, that data. What if, um, what if we thought of mental illness and mental health in in slightly different ways. And we stumbled across um, uh, some work being done uh, by a a researcher named Corey Keyes. And he came up with a really brilliant conceptualization of, of mental health and mental illness. Instead of, as most people think of mental health being a single continuum, where you have at the far left end of the continuum is a mental, severe mental illness. And then at the far right side of that continuum is mental health. He said, no, 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 no. We should think of two continua. One's a mental illness from severe mental illness to no mental illness. And then an axis like an X, Y axis and the Y axis would be mental health and functioning. So you can have low mental health and no no mental illness. You don't have to have a diagnosed illness to be experiencing low mental health. Um, As an example, uh, every human at some point gets depressed. In that moment of depression, they're experiencing low mental health, but they do not suffer from a specific mental illness. So if we take that, that axis of mental illness to uh, no mental illness, and low to high mental health. Everything above the line we would call flourishing. This is where it gets really, really interesting, is that it is possible to have a mental illness and still flourish. It is possible to be clinically diagnosed with something such as uh, bipolar disorder and have medications and personal coping strategies and environmental uh, uh, environmental control systems that allows that person to have a flourishing set of behaviors. They can flourish. In other words, they have high mental health, even though they have an illness. So if we take that concept uh, and then unpack that a little bit more, um, Keys talked about emotional well-being. He talked about psychological well-being, and he talked about uh, social well-being as being the determinants of mental health. Um, These include things like um, self-acceptance, a sense of purpose in life, a sense of autonomy, positive relationships with others, um, a personal growth mindset, um, things like uh, self-acceptance, being able to understand how one fits into society around them. When we started looking at those determinants of mental health, they sounded really familiar to our research and our work. The impacts of, of uh, career development when it's done in the modern way, the, in addition to people making choices, we have found that students, students and adults who, uh, who get a, a career development intervention have elevations in their sense of confidence, elevations in their sense of hope, elevations in self-efficacy, Elevations and self-determination, the ability, that, you know, the thought that I can do something about the world around me, heightened sense of purpose, and significantly increased sense of connection to others around them and to a possible future. So the outcomes of good career development load almost one-to-one onto the determinants of mental health. Problem, nobody's doing anything about it. We're spending most of our money doing these crisis interventions, suicide prevention, those sorts of things. Uh, So the essence of our question was this, what if we trained those people in the school systems that are currently delivering the career curriculum about how to intentionally produce those those outcomes like confidence and hope and self-efficacy and all those things, and then uh, once we train them how to do that, see if their practices in their career in their in their classes are any different, and if their practices are different, does that have any impact on the overall mental health levels of the students they teach? So that's ess- the essence of our project.
0: So, Chris, tell me a little bit about a little bit more about the project, about who who you're working with and who are your collaborators and partners.
1: So this is this is something that's uh, I think really cool. Um, we've got three provinces represented from coast to coast. We've got New Brunswick on the Atlantic coast, British Columbia, uh, on the Pacific coast and Saskatchewan in between. So three radically different economies, ways of doing things within each province. We have the ministry of education that is a partner, and we also have, uh, two to three different school districts within each province uh, who are going to be partners with us in in bc it's the surrey school district and the west okanagan school district so we've got an urban one kind of one in the center part of the province Uh, and so uh, we're going to work with their professionals the teachers of the career curriculum that they have their guidance counselors and we're going to explore how we might be able to better understand the linkages between good career development practice and mental health for the students within their systems.
0: What you're doing is such important work. And as we close for this podcast is that um, for you know, future graduate students or researchers that want to pursue a specific field you know, uh, with you or um, in the area of youth and mental health and career development, what are some of the uh, advice that you're able to share with them um, and yeah. I guess what are some, I guess, maybe I also love for you to share some of the, uh, your opinion on the implications of your research as well. Like how, what does that mean for, you know, students, uh, counselors, mm-hmm. or educators?
1: Yeah. For anybody thinking about this area, um, the first piece of advice would be open your minds to a much broader and much deeper field than you ever thought was possible. Um, in many training programs, in many counselor education programs, career is the forgotten course. Career is the one that they do, like I did initially, because it was the elective that fit into my schedule the best, not because I was really keen about it. Um, and so uh, I always, when, when, I, when I introduce the uh, first course in a new cohort of counseling students, I remind them that career is the adjective to counseling. So it's career counseling. It's still counseling. It still requires the same depth of care for the other. It still requires really disciplined and serious work. It still requires that you understand deeply uh, interventions and the, the personal and situational barriers that people face. And it still requires that we, uh, help them navigate their way through because every path, every navigation is going to be different. So you cannot have a one size fit all. But if you explore it with that, with that lens, the second piece of, of advice I I tell people is that if you want to make a difference, whether you're interested in family counseling, marital counseling, uh, if you're interested in social justice issues, if you're interested in, uh, issues that that people of race and color face in navigating their way through life, that the number one tool you can can have that would make a fundamental difference in how they experience their life is helping them navigate their career. Because it's navigating not just their occupational choice, but all of their other roles that they play. Uh, I was doing a seminar um, where I I was asked about how this career development would apply in indigenous populations because it's such a, the old school career development, is such a Western centric way of thinking, you know, the be all and end all is occupational choice, right. And climb the ladder and all those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I, I and My
1: response was that for particularly for um, Aboriginal people living uh, in a, on a reserve, that the number one issue for that person may very well be family and community. And so how do we honor their meaning? Not how do we change it to what fits our ways? How do we honor it and then help them to find the levers or mechanisms that will enable them to honor their commitments? So it may be the case that, uh, I was working in in uh, northern, well in, in the Northwest Territories, in a remote community, very very few employment prospects. Uh, I had ten people who had been uh, unemployed for a minimum of two years, uh, so it was a kind of a tough crowd. Uh, seven of them were First Nations. Uh, eight of the ten had substance abuse issues on they they're working with, and the question wasn't okay, let's match your interests to occupations that may or may not exist here. What's important to you today? And then how do we enable you to walk that path of integrity? So for some of them, they chose to go after jobs that they didn't really care about, but that paid them enough. For example, one young mother, it was available and it paid enough that she could support her two young children. Okay, because that was the number one thing. She felt awful that she wasn't able to support them in the way that she wanted or that they needed. Uh, Fast forward six months and she felt wonderful. She could care less what she was doing occupationally, but her family was happy and it was together. We have to start with what is meaningful and of value to the individual, put that in the context of the real world that they're living in, and then say now, how do we bring those two together? The number one survival skill uh, is the ability to make creative bridges between what I care about and what's uh, available to me in my world today. And so let's figure out that it, it's it's occupational engineering in that sense. We're, we're building bridges to possible futures.
0: Yeah, that's a very good uh, very good analogy. And I'm just saying that it's uh, I think that what what drives us, you know, what drives us, what makes us happy. Uh, regardless of what career path that we're choosing at that time. I yeah. think it's what's influenced, it's the greatest influence of how well we do and things like that. Yes, um, and I, I think I saw it as such great work that you're doing. And um, I want to, again, congratulate you on um, getting the, the Shirk uh, Partnership Development Grant as well to do, this, to do this very important work. Again, especially at this time, in yes. this type of um, pandemic era. Um, I want to thank you again, and uh, I also want to thank our listeners for listening today to our podcast. Uh, Stay tuned, um, and check out our other podcasts are part of the Research Hub. Thank you again, Chris.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.